Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Good afternoon, guys. Evolutionary Hardcore Radio, guys. This is 102, episode number 102. Steve Smee here, my co-host, The Mobster. How's it going, man? Not so bad. We're going to get down and dirty today, people. So we got a show, special show. This one's going to be about Dorian Yates. Now, we love to talk about the former pioneers in bodybuilding, and Dorian Yates was one. Um, Before Dorian Yates won the Mr. Olympia, it was the Lee Haney show. Uh, Lee Haney was the Mr. Olympian champion. Dorian Yates took it over from 92 to 97, although in 97 his win was a little controversial because people thought Nasser uh, was uh, the one who deserved to win. But nonetheless, you say the same thing about Arnold when Arnold last won the Mr. Olympia back in, back in the day, uh, 1980, I believe. After Dorian Yates was when Ronnie Coleman came along. So a lot of you know, a lot of our American listeners know Ronnie Coleman really well. Um, but you know, before Ronnie Coleman, it was a Dorian Yates show. And Dorian Yates is was born in how do you pronounce that mobster? Solid Hole. Solid Hole. Yep. Okay. In the Midlands of the UK. And it says that his father died of a heart attack. He was only 13 years old. So that must have really, really wrecked him. And, and it, perhaps it motivated him to get into weight training. And then they moved to Birmingham, which is uh, – where's Birmingham, um, that, that I think the third or fourth biggest city in the UK, also in the Midlands. I think Manchester and uh, somewhere else is slightly bigger now. But it used to be the second biggest UK city. So, so Dorian's uh, height – was five foot ten and a half. That's his listed height. Um, you know, we can debate whether he's a little uh, shorter than that. His weight was 275, 275 pounds, which is 125 kilos. That's in, in the contest shape. And then in the off season, he got up to over 300 pounds, which is around 140 kilograms. That was his off season. That's the listed. So, wow, he was a, he was a monster. You guys can Google his uh, images. In Mobster, you actually met him a couple times, and you uh, met his wife. Tell us a little bit about the times you met him. Uh, so I think the first time I recall uh, being around Dorian was be a 2005 there or thereabouts uh, Fit Expo at London's Olympia, big exhibition hall. And uh, we're talking about a 21, 22 stone, so about 290 pounds off-season Dorian. I believe in the Blood and Guts video, he was a little bit over 300 pounds. And of course, that was the first for its uh, greediness. In the second time, which was more of the backstory I've just told Steve off uh, camera, uh, was uh, at a, uh, he was uh, selling photographs, doing the usual pro bodybuilder stuff at a bodybuilding competition on the very edge of Southeast London. And uh, uh, had a, a, a little bit of a conversation, not necessarily a good one, uh, privy put down to the fact that it's, I was slightly upset uh, Debbie with something we were doing in my Muscle Mob magazine at the time. Dorian apparently wanted to be the pro and carry on doing what he was doing, but Debbie was all for coming over and telling me a new one. Uh, and as I told Steve off camera what that was all about. But nevertheless, uh, I don't know if I'd have wanted to upset Dorian or have him come over when he was a bit of a hero at the same time for me. So yeah, it could have been, um, it could have been very embarrassing and very loud. Let's just put it that way. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that Dorian made a huge impact on the world stage. The, the Blood and Guts video, which I've just mentioned, was colour to begin with, and that was switched to black and white, and he said he didn't want no BS. And you literally saw, at that point, I think up to that point, it was all oil and, and sprayed on water and stuff, and Dorian said, and I'll be, I'll be blunt, fuck that shit, let's make it gritty, let's make it real, let's show people what I actually do. And uh, had a huge impact for that. The other thing, of course, which we're well aware of, Dorian, was when he first entered the Mr. Olympia and did that first year with the pictures of him when he would come up against Lee Haney Lee's last competition and then the amount of weight that he'd put on on the off-season. And, and pros even now will tell you it kind of scared them to see the improvements that this, this English guy had made in his dungeon gym and was going to come back. I, I'd love to have those as part. I've got one, which is some pictures of, it, it, of him doing a, a lat spread from that series of photographs by Kevin Horton. And uh, yeah, the impact that had on the mentality of the other pros kind of scared them. If this guy can put on 16, 20 pounds in the off season, what the fuck is he going to look like when he comes to the stage? What, what's, and he, he did that kind of like psyched them out months before the competition. And that, that itself was, was something special. So yeah, that's stuff right out there. On on the background, which Steve and I have talked about, uh, the the father being uh, lost so soon into Dorian's life must have had an impact. And in fact, we know from his background that he went to prison. He went to what we would call a borstal or a correctional school here. Uh, we know that he he messed around with cannabis at that time, and, and he, he knows still a bit of a fan with that stuff now. And I believe the, the, the autobiography pretty much says that it was a prison officer or correctional officer that challenged him to do the stuff that he was doing in the gym. To, and they were doing circuits. And Dorian had gone around three times and everybody else had gone around once. And, and this thoughtful CO pulled him off the one side and said, son, you could do really well at this stuff. And even then it took a couple of years after that for Dorian to finally get his head in the game and, and to join the gym and to find out that he did have the potential, did have the genetics. And then, of course, we end up with, with you know, many years later with, with a Mr. O. So, yeah, what, what, back to you, Steve. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think we've all had something um, that we went through as teenagers to really either motivate us or to kind of affect us as adults. So that was kind of interesting and uh, good for him. You know, he turned that negativity of his father. Um, he went through a very dark time where he ended up in prison or jail. And then he actually turned that into a positive experience and he's a role model for a lot of people. And he's a good guy. He seems to be a really good guy. He's not like a cocky guy. He's not like an asshole. Um, so Ronnie Coleman's also seems like a really cool guy and Lee Haney. So these are, these are good guys. Um, there's a lot of good guys in bodybuilding compared to some uh, other, you know, celebrities and stuff out there. So I think, you know, um, so we're going to talk about guys, what we th think that Dorian used based on some things that we've heard, um, what we think he used originally, then we're going to talk later in the show about what someone who is a Mr. Olympia today would be using. So, um, you know, I, and Mobster and I talked about this on the pre-show, these guys, they don't come out and say they use so much stuff because there's no benefit for them to saying they use so much stuff. We saw Ronnie Coleman do an interview recently had um you know millions of views and ronnie coleman was like yeah we didn't use that much stuff i was only on a trt dose and i was on prescriptions for these steroids guys I mean, he wants to say that because he doesn't want people to think 
that yeah, I can just take a lot of steroids and be Mr. Olympia. He he, and he also wants to make people understand that yeah, it takes more than just using steroids. It takes you know he even admitted in the podcast it takes genetics, it takes knowing how to train, it takes knowing diet, all that stuff to be the best pro. Um, Tom Brady in football, you know he doesn't put anything in his body unless it's natural. He sleeps nine hours a night uh, religiously. He's a positive person. He's always has self motivation. And he's been successful in the NFL for over 20 years. And then you have other players, they're only in the NFL for a few years, and then they crap out because they eat, you know, cereal and, 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 and you know, junk food, uh, McDonald's and all this crap. So, you know, it's, it really does, you know, you have to have all that. So I think they understate their steroids for that reason. So he admitted already that he used testosterone, HGH, you know, the basic stuff. So what, what I've heard, <clears throat> Mobster, and, um, you know, I'm curious to hear what you think, but I heard yeah. that he used tons of HGH. We're talking over 10 IUs a day. He used insulin so he can partition all that food he was eating into his body. He was likely eating tons of protein, so he needed that insulin to help him partition all those nutrients into his muscles so he could grow so big. Um, especially in the off season, I'm sure he he really was was firing up the insulin in the off season, and then tons of steroids, tons of tests. We're talking grams. Um, he probably um, around that time, you know, they really wanted to beat the competition. It you you know in the '90s, Deca was very popular. It's possible he was running over a gram because with Deca you can run a lot of it and it won't give you a lot of negative side effects. Okay. That's, that's actually a misconception people think. So he probably ran a ton of DECA because DECA is structurally, um, he, he probably ran a lot less tests than DECA. He probably ran more DECA than tests. Um, but I mean, from what I've heard, he ran um, 1500 milligrams a week of tests over a gram of DECA. He ran d -bowl. He ran tons of HGH. You know, he ran, he ran these, these were the steroids back in the nineties that, that guys ran a lot of, and he could have ran Primo as well because Primo was big in the seventies and eighties in competition. So he could have ran a bunch of Primo too, just to add something else to give him some more mild, mild uh, side effects. And then of course, you know, he was slamming that insulin, basically every meal, every meal, he was slamming the insulin and then having a nice size meal lots of proteins lots of good clean foods um so that he could basically partition those gains and get big 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 and then he would he would you know make sure he keeps his body fat down and that's that's a genetic thing if the average person did that they would just get fat but he could pull that off because of genetics how about you mom so what is what are you hearing that you think he used uh, back in the 90s I'm, I'm torn on this, as Steve Smith knows, because I, I suspect, and Stevie did uh, touch on this, there's the, the aspects which a lot of guys would like to think, which is if they take the same amount of stories as a pro, I'm going to look like a pro. And that's just not true. If it was true, guys, we'd all be fucking looking like Mr. Olympia. And you do not. I don't. Steve doesn't. 99.9% .9 of the guys on the forum do not. We want to, but we don't. So... That's the reality. There's also a sense, and, and Dorian has covered this. In his book, he talks about uh, literally living in a flat away from the family home for a couple of his Mr. Olympians because of his monk-like lifestyle. When he was doing the six meals and getting up and thinking about nothing but training 
nothing for food, maybe even nothing but the pharmaceuticals he was going to take. He wasn't a very nice person to be around. And that was the kind of attitude that he felt that he needed. He needed not to put on to his family the stuff that he was doing and the person he was going to be in those last eight weeks, carb depleted, hungry, tired, dragging his ass in cardio, smashing the fuck out of stuff in the gym. And obviously maybe doing as pharmaceuticals that he needed to do. So you, you, if you don't have that kind of discipline, if you don't have that kind of attitude, if you're not then doing the other things as well, and you don't have the genetics, then I don't care if you copy his doses down to the last detail, you're just not going to be that person. So that's a hundred percent. I'm looking at stuff here in front of me in terms of what was said from, but uh, if he's done a, a video interview, I think there was a, a stuff on a well-known uh, London reel and also uh, stuff that's been done in muscular development when he was interviewed and both the writer and Dorian himself followed up on the interview to say, guys won't believe what I'm taking. And I did take till this time past my being a Mr. Olympia when I'm no longer quite the focus in the public way that it was before to tell the truth and people won't believe it we we, we know that lee priest has had the same issue so i, I the, the, some of the drugs that steve just mentioned are right they're on the list but they're just not at the level i'm torn i suspect there's a combination of factors if one is genetics so no matter what kind of drugs he's doing he's going to respond really really well whether we argue the amounts and and, and the second one which steve steve has touched on is the there's a degree of responsibility. If you, in the case of Ronnie Coleman, you're with the police. You can't go around saying, I'm doing all these things that I shouldn't be doing and work for the police. You cannot. And if you are Mr. Olympia, your sponsors, this is the way it works, guys. If I'm going to give you $400,000 a year, you cannot sit there and go, it's all down to the drugs, guys, and not the stuff else, anything else I'm doing. It's just the drugs. And this is the reason why I look like this, because if you do that, you're not getting paid $400,000. So we've got bills to pay. We've got mortgages. We've got, we've got drug bills to pay for. These, that's how it works. You know, you, the, the, the judges are going to not look at you quite as favorable if you come back on stage because you spent last year saying, I've taken all these drugs. Steve? Yeah, and then Ronnie Coleman, that's a good point, because Ronnie Coleman, in the interview, he mentioned supplements several times. He's like, oh, yeah. you got to take your supplements. You know, come on, dude. It's like he, he's trying to, you know, he wants to sell those supplements, right? I've seen pro bodybuilders use that word specifically to mean steroids, but they won't say steroids because they're being recorded. or They'll say about taking my supplements. And I've actually seen, God help us, members on other forums, not, not on our forums, but members on other forums referring to steroids as supplements. They're not supplements, guys. If an aspirin's not a supplement, then a steroid's not a supplement. If you want to think that way, that's fine. But let's, let's be honest. We don't, we, we, we're giving you information on gear. We do not pretend it's a sweet. We don't pretend it's protein powder. We don't pretend it's creatine. If a pro bodybuilder wants to say that, really, they're kind of half fooling themselves and they're being kind of polite when they say it. So let's, 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 let's not muck around. We're not talking about guys that don't do drugs, don't do steroids. The, the, the argument comes down to people claiming to know what the, you don't know. You can't know. Unless you're there jabbing it into his quad, you cannot know. What we can do is best guess. We know what some people have had to do to get to high levels. We've got a pretty good idea what that is. And, and, and we, but, but, but we're talking about the genetic edge of the, the 1%, the fraction of a 1% here who could take the same as what Steve's taken or the same as what I've taken. And they will have veins when we do not. They will have 
striations when we we don't. They would be stronger than me on a on my on, you know on my best day when they've not taken a steroid. So that's how it works, and 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 that's the reality. But yeah, sure. I mean, I'm looking at some of the numbers here. We're, we're talking about his first cycle, and uh, it suggested that weeks one to four, 20 milligrams of Dynabol. My first cycle of Dynabol was more than that. It talks about uh, 15 milligrams of Anivar and 100 milligrams weekly of Primobolin. This is tiny amounts of steroids, tiny. It's hard to believe, even for Dorian, that that would be his first cycle, literally, not Mr. Olympia stuff, but the first gear that he ever, ever took. Uh, th th those numbers are borderline medical, not to uh, bodybuilding. So yeah, that's just the first one. The, the Mr. Olympia cycle, the famous one from, from, from a magazine, and the one that we all argue over, I'll read these out for you. Weekly, weekly, mind you, test propionate, 300 milligrams, parabolin, 152 milligrams, primabolin, 500 milligrams, and then daily, anavar, 50 milligrams, and then the growth hormone, which Steve mentioned earlier on, eight IUs. And this is the famous one that he's admitted to. This is the one that's in the magazine. This is the one that we all debate and argue over. It mentions an off-season stack. Typically, three eight-week cycles. So I think short on, short off kind of stuff here. Weekly, and Steve touched on the deck earlier on. Testosterone, it doesn't say what kind. 750 milligrams. Deca, Durobalin, 500 milligrams. And then daily, Dianabol, 50 milligrams. <sighs> That's probably more than I've taken any of my cycles. But then I, I didn't weigh 310 pounds at 5, 10 and a half and, and, and just looked like an absolute monster walking around in the off-season. So... Yeah, I, 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 as I said, people have a problem. We can, we can second guess, we can best guess with regards to this kind of stuff as to how uh, cycles would be run now. I do know, there was a, Steve mentioned insulin earlier on, and Doyen's supposed to have uh, discussed this following along from his uh, proposed Mr. Olympia cycle that he tried insulin. And according to Dorian, according to the interviews, uh, said that uh, he hadn't got much success with it, felt that he was holding water and actually dropped it. The growth hormone was definitely in there. The other drugs were definitely in there, though we can argue the amounts. But insulin was tried, was tested. The amounts, I would be guessing if I said what they was. Uh, but he wasn't happy with the, his body's response to it. And of course, you know, Steve, from the forums that we, we've, we've had these conversations with lots of our members. Most of our members don't run it properly. Most of them don't get the response that they're hoping for. In fact, you've addressed this several times as saying they get fat. I know all the guys I know that have used insulin have not had the, the success with insulin that they was expecting or that they'd hoped for based on what they thought the pros were doing. And, and, and in this case, Dorian seems to agree with that based on information that he's put out into the public arena. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Let's talk a little bit about diet and training. Um, so, you know, it's a at that size, you're so insulin resistant because you're so freaking big that you have to eat a lot of food often. So I'm, he was probably waking up at night to eat. He was probably, when he, as soon as he got up in the morning, he was eating. Granted, a lot of clean foods, okay? If you want to be lean, you got to eat clean. So he was eating a lot, eating a lot of food, but and again, you guys don't follow this unless you're, you know, trying to become a pro bodybuilder or something, because for most of you, you follow the way these guys eat, 
you're just going to destroy your stomach health and you're just going to get fat. But, you know, with these guys, they have, they're taking so much stuff. They're top 0.101% genetics, amazing genetics. So he was probably eating, I, I would say like for breakfast, as soon as he got up, mobster, I would say he probably had like 10 eggs and, uh, you know, a bagel. He probably had, you know, a good, a good wheat bagel, maybe oatmeal. Um, he probably was, ta- you know, maybe some, um, some pieces of turkey, you know, just tons of food for breakfast. Then he would probably eat two hours later, maybe a salad or something like that, a big, big salad and get all his vegetables. Then for lunch, maybe some fish, some broccoli, rice, um, some uh, sweet potatoes, stuff like that. So those are the types of foods these guys were, were consuming, fish, chicken, um, beef here and there, maybe, you know, once, once, uh, once a day or once every other day, uh, some beef, you know, lots of rice, rice is good, complex carb, um, sweet potatoes, good carb option, lots of nutrition in it, broccoli, they love broccoli, very, very easy to make, any, any idiot can make broccoli, you just put it on the stove and boil it for a little bit, I mean, lots of food, I would say, you know, tons of food, um, just like Rich Piani used to always say, eight, nine, ten meals a day, that wouldn't surprise me, especially in the off season, tons and tons of, tons of food, lots of protein, you want to get big, you want to feed those muscles. If he was taking the insulin, he would take he would take the insulin, then have the meal, the big meal, and all that nutrition get shuttled into the muscle so that it could get stored, um, and he could just kept getting bigger and bigger. So, you know, these are these to stay that big, to get that big, and stay that big, you have to be eating a lot of food. So, um, I can't imagine how much money he was spending on groceries. So, monster. Tell us a little bit about diet because you're a big guy too. Um, give us a rough estimate of how many calories a day you're getting, how much protein a day you're getting, and then how much you think he got when it comes to, to that. And then get into kind of the training that you see these uh, big dudes doing that are, that are like Dorian. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, I'm looking, uh, uh, Steve knows that I've actually got a few Dorian books here and, and, and specifically calories. He says five and a half thousand. I'm kind of weird on that. People got this, there's a cartoon character from a comic over here from when we were kids called Desperate Dan. And because of how I look with my beard and being the build that I am, they somehow imagine it's the old euphemism of whapping a cow's ass, putting a pie crust on it. And I spend all day eating the cow, this idea that I'm going to have huge breakfast. I've got buddies of mine that would have bigger meals than I do. But I think I'm, I'm a bit of a, 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 a what they call it, grazer. Because I think, I think totally, I probably average around 4,000 calories a day. But then I'm only working physically when I am at work. What's happening in a minute? Two days, two days a week. So you know, I'm, most of the rest of my time is either training, or chilling, or doing odd errands around the house. I'm not burning shitloads of calories. If I go out trail walking, I might eat a little bit more. Uh, and, and I've also gone through phases of gaining weight, which is incrementally added up to quite a lot over time, uh, with roughly 308, 309 pounds at the minute. Uh, but again, I'm not even a surprisingly large amount. Steve was pretty much 99% spot on with his with his meal guess. That's for what he thought Dorian was taking. I'm looking at the, the list here, and he only had one protein shake a day. But that was his, his breakfast, wasn't oatmeal. That was later in the day. But all of the other foods that Steve suggested is exactly what Dorian was having. He was having those six meals a day, 
five and a half thousand calories. It doesn't list the protein content or, or, or breakdown. But I, I know from his videos, I know from, from the stuff that I've read, and, and also from other pro bodybuilders, their first meal of the day is kind of anticipating the workout that's going to come. And I would say the same thing applies to me. I'm opening up my, my home gym here at half seven in the morning, so I'm having to get up at six, which on the days when I'm not working is a pain in the ass. And I make sure that I have my food down me no later than eight o'clock because we're hitting the gym, we're hitting the weights here, nine, nine thirty. I believe Dorian's workouts were roughly middle of the morning. So he was having two meals, which I believe is a Jay Cutler thing as well, trying to get at least two meals in so that they've got some calories in the system ready to be utilized and then some of this system ready to help with the recovery after the workout. And then you, you can recall from the blood and guts videos and from, from the stories that his mental prep included specific workout music in the car. He would have 10 or 15 minutes in the, in the gym office, in Temple Gym, getting his head into the gym, the, you know, I'm about the workout space. And he would train relatively early in the day. Gym, UK gyms are the same as American gyms. We're busy about mid to late afternoon. So the morning sessions could be relatively quiet. And I think it was one of those situations where you put his music on, he had the famous Leroy Davis with that Lance Corporal, come on diesel, do another rep kind of thing going on. And he kind of had the space to himself. He'd be off in the leg area. You didn't see anybody else in the leg area. And you've got Dorian monstering. He's in that, he's in that cellar gym. He's in that basement gym. I've, I've seen it outside street. It is what we would call in the UK a shithole. It's a real dump. The gym was kind of damp. It's underground. You've got rock music playing. You're kind of almost like a man in a cave and you've got this guy that's like a sergeant major shouting at you, like a, like a drill sergeant, kicking your ass. When, and there's almost no one else in the gym except you, the drill sergeant, and, and you know, Guns and Roses pounding the fuck out. So I can, I can imagine in that situation, all of us would hope that we would get an absolute monster of a workout. And we know from, from Dorian's statistics, from the stuff and information that said, and Dorian himself has told us, we brought some pretty decent weights, 400 pound inclines. But I think the, the one thing that sort of blew my mind, we was doing 1,500 pound calf raises. I just photographs of him with those huge calves on a machine. And it just like a four foot stack of weights on this machine. It must have been custom built for that particular gym. Uh, the 200, 220 pound dumbbell rows, shrugs. Uh, some of the other stuff was out there. Three plates, three and a half plates, side seated press. There's some pretty big numbers. The, the whole training ethos, which we know came from the Mike Mensa heavy duty stuff, was influenced by that. Dorian was quite clever. He, he, he wouldn't necessarily call himself a clever man at the time, but he did the right things. He researched. He literally went out and brought books and sat down and decided he was going to learn how to train before he went to the gym and fucked it up. So he was kind of doing the stuff almost properly from the get-go. And we're talking about, let's say, let's take chess. We talked about maybe four sets or something like the high incline. And then all of the rest of the exercises were one or two sets, literally a prep set and then a monster set on flyers, a monster set on uh, some sort of Nautilus or, or hammer machine. Uh, these, these, these were probably doing about eight to ten sets for chest, but with weights that were pretty fucking right up there and 40 to 45, 50-minute workouts. Every single person that's ever been coached by Dorian, and we're up with the famous Chris Cormier spitting and trying to puke in the alleyway outside the gym. Every single pro that he's ever put through it has turned around and said that Dorian knows his stuff. 
great for body position, whether it be arching the chest for some sort of back movement, getting you to maximise the contraction, showing pros how to train properly, which says a great deal about their genetics, and pretty much putting every single person through the mill for the grind. Uh, you've got photographs of the visitors he's had to the gym. Uh, I think it's one of those things, and we'd all imagine that if we trained with a pro, that our workouts would be special, and the reality is we should be able to do these things for ourselves. But Dorian seems to exude a little bit more than that in terms of learning proper position, proper contraction. The work, the work, there's not a great many, much conversation, if any at all. It's all kind of focused. It's all kind of monk-like. And I think that going back to the stuff that we touched on earlier on, this idea that Dorian was literally training in a dungeon and a grubby gym, which it was, in a back street, which it was, with water occasionally on the walls before they got it tanked. And, no, and this is all pre-YouTube. This is all pre-WhatsApp. The guys weren't sharing information, so they got to know nothing. There was no photographs floating around unless Peter McGough showed them. So the, so the American pros and for the, any, all of the other pros, they did not know what he was doing. They didn't know how hard he was training. He was, hence the euphemism of the shadow. They, you know, they, they didn't get to see what he was doing. Whereas if you were West Coast or East Coast America, you could find out, you could, you could bring that, you could say to the gym owner, how's such and such looking? It wasn't getting that. The gym owner was Dorian. He ain't gonna tell you shit. He's just gonna let you see what's there and bring it to the stage. So, yeah, seriously, I think there was stuff like, was, I think one of the, I'm, I'm reminded of two very quick stories, one which applies to Ronnie, but one which I believe also applies to Dorian Yates, and that is from another body, pro bodybuilder saying that they were behind both these athletes as they were walking up the two steps, three steps onto the stage at the Mystery Olympia and, and realising that, that their competition was already over just based on the condition and, and the width of the back of both these athletes as they walked up the steps to go on the stage. When you've already psyched out the guy behind you without even saying something to him, you've already won. And, of course, Dorian was famous for his back. Some of the off-season photographs, including the one with Mike Mensah, I wish he kind of competed like that because the 300 pounds there or thereabouts, 280, 290 pounds that he was looking two or three weeks out from the Olympia, he was a, a serious fucking beast. Uh, and there's, there's the, 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 I can only think of a couple of bodybuilders even now that would come close to that. Obviously, towards the end of his career, it was a bit different. But, yeah, we're talking about highly regimented, focused food, focused training in a way that a lot of guys can get away with. And, and, and Steve knows this, and I've mentioned this again on the forums. I know just physically from being around, training with, uh, seeing what pro bodybuilders do. We've got a pro bodybuilder at our gym. Uh, and, yeah. Genetics allows them to get away with a great deal. I don't think Dorian allowed for that. I think you kind of so driven and so dedicated and so focused that it was almost smashing his genetics. Whereas you get other guys that they don't train as hard, don't eat as properly, don't rest and recover, don't go off and get the massages and rely on the genetics to get them through. I don't think Dorian did. I don't think he relied on the genetics, although he had that genetic advantage, that, that he was able to apply himself in a kind of, I've used the phrase already, a monk-like way, a focus-like way that was kind of mind-blowing. And, and it, people would travel to the gym just to, just to be around him, just to see how he, how he was training, going training in the dungeon and, and do the stuff in, in Temple Gym. Uh, I mean, it's difficult. In my own training, which Steve asked me about, I've had moments like that 
I talked about training when I feel like an old man. I'm, I'm battering myself in order to get to a certain level, in order to be the guy, the one winning competitions as I was, uh, getting world records, getting British international world records as I was. And I wanted to be the guy that, that out-trained everybody else. That I wanted to make sure in my own mind that when I finished my workouts, when I was coming into a competition, I could put my hand on my heart and say, I trained as hard as I could. And also that in my mind, no one else has trained as hard as me. And I get that sense from Dorian as well. So for you to force a five foot, ten and a half kind of average body weight up to over 300 pounds, potentially 309, 310 pounds on that frame and have most of it be muscle compared to where he looks now as a retired bodybuilder, it, 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 you have to be doing stuff in the gym stuff nutritionally you have to be every single day every all of that all of those six or seven years of being a pro bodybuilder you have to be full-on non-stop you, you're probably not a nice guy to be around I, i've been i think sometimes what we do can be incredibly selfish and i know for a fact that some of the stuff that i do is selfish whether it's i need to eat now whether uh, you know you can't I've, I've had conversations with previous girlfriends i think steve and i are talking about this on on the forum where uh, training has come first and the girlfriend has come second because they don't seem to have understand this is something we're doing for life. I started training at 15, I'll be 56 in a few weeks. I've been training 41 years. I have none of my relationships are 41 years long. <laughs> they're, they're all less. So I've, I'm doing this from the get-go, from, from the moments my balls drop till now and hopefully till they nail the lid of the coffin, I'll be going down the gym. Steve? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lifestyle for sure. And um, it's something that people, people don't understand that. Not just girlfriends, but people in general, they don't understand that. They're, they're always asking, why are, you, why are you doing this? Why? They don't get it. They don't get that. If you don't train, you go crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. And once you're in the industry like we are, you, you know, you're in. It's, there's no getting out. So this is something for life. But, you know, I want to ask you, though, um, we're going to transition now to what the guys do today. The Sean Rodins, the Dexter Jacksons, Brandon Currys, the guys who are the Mr. Olympia guys of today. Let me ask you this first before we get into their steroid cycles. What are they doing when it comes to training in terms of are they doing split routines more often? You mentioned back, Dorian Yates and his back. Is the back something that he'll spend an entire workout on? How often are they training? Are they doing splits? And how many times a week are they training? And how often do they take breaks from the gym to, to do deloads and stuff? What is, the, what is the information you have on that from the guys today, what they're doing? I don't, and, and how has that changed from Dorian's time? I'm just saying the stuff that's kind of changed is we argue a lot about the volume and maybe Dorian had enough of an influence back in the day uh, that's still filtering down into the training now where the guys don't feel that they need to do Arnold type stuff, you know, the twice, twice a day workouts, five, six day a week workouts. You know, Arnold talks about maybe running along the beach where the guys will spend half an hour, 45 minutes on, on the treadmill or on the bike. Uh, the fasted carve, uh, cardio now is a much bigger thing than it probably was then. Uh, Dorian, uh, I, I don't recall. I think we should say photographs of him going for a walk with a dog. Pro bodybuilders, so the pro body would be at the, would be at the gym coaches and prep coaches, uh, athletes for competition. And when he's in competition mode, I see a lot more cardio. 
I know for a fact that he does fasted cardio first thing in the morning before breakfast and puts videos up there where we talk about subjects of the day. So we know that he's doing that. And we know that an enormous amount of pros are doing that. In terms of the volume, I suspect it's gone down from what it was in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but we're still looking at four to five days a week. We're definitely splitting up the body. Dorian's thing is a body part per session. Uh, I believe it was four times a week. My, I only train four times a week. And uh, the strength athletes that I've been around, just, it's still only looking at four times a week. I think from the strength athlete side of things, you're talking about two core exercise, two compound exercise sessions a week. One event day for strength for a strong man. So literally the events of an upcoming competition and one day when you would spend your training session would be specifically bringing up your weaknesses. Now, as a pro bodybuilder, that's the same approach should apply. You, you need to be working on your weaknesses. You need to be keeping everything else ticking over and you need to be tight on your cardio. You, even if cardio is going to be used for fat burning, but it could also be used for appetite stimulation. In terms of the pharmaceutical side, we know that peptides play a much bigger role. We know that insulin which we've touched on earlier on, definitely takes a much bigger role. And there's a lot more uh, harsh chemicals, which we'll get to in a minute, that the guys are doing that weren't doing before. The availability is sometimes a difficulty. And again, especially if you're in the public eye, uh, I think there's an analogy that was used with some of the US pros, is that if I'm going to be a US pro and a top bodybuilder, I want to make sure that I've got my ass covered when it comes to my pharmaceutical, because I do not want to be in the public eye, either in a magazine or online or whatever else, and have the feds knocking on my door. So there's probably interesting things that they have to do there. In, in, in this country, it's less of an issue in terms of you having pharmaceuticals in your house, uh, steroids and PEDs in your house for your own personal use, as it would be in the state. So you could be quite public in terms of that side of things that you couldn't do. Diet, diet is interesting. Again, there's a lot of stuff. Steve's big on fasting. We know that Diet manipulation, a specific technical knowledge, I believe, is improving. It seems to improve all the time. And we've got Dorian and all the bodybuilders that went before us to thank for that. And that includes me as a strength athlete. Uh, it would be ignorant of me as a strength athlete to pretend that I don't know nothing about bodybuilding and vice versa. We learn from each other all the time. So the specifics of diet, why are pro strength athletes leaner? Why do they recover better? Because we learn from bodybuilders and vice versa. There's a lot of elements of that out there for the guys. I would definitely think that peptides, insulin, uh, and without going into too much of the dark side, pr products like DMP, the ability to have access to those things and utilize those things is way ahead now of where it would have just been on the edge of being used at the time. Uh, you, you, there's plenty of videos out there for the guys to watch in terms of watching pro athletes, but they're only showing you what they want you to see. And they're only showing you a part of the day. They're not showing you from morning to evening. And why? Why you're not paying for their advice? Why would they show you everything? They'll give you what you want to see. I know for a good difference because on just food-wise and cardio-wise, Jay Cutler in his run-up to the Mr. Olympias, with videos of him training at eleven o'clock at night, four o'clock in the morning, having meals and whatever else, because he he could live the lifestyle that he could train when he wanted to eat when he wanted to. He didn't have to worry about the clock. He certainly probably didn't want to be out in the heat of the day in Nevada, Las Vegas. So he could train when the gyms were empty. He could do cardio at silly o'clock in the morning. We know Ronnie Coleman was with his shift work as a police officer doing treadmill and cardio work in his home gym at one o'clock in the morning. 
And I think that's what I touched on earlier on with Doyen having access to his own gym. He doesn't even have to worry about gym members. He could probably just lock the door and have those workouts like that. I have that advantage here. I've got the gym to myself. I've got seven or 800 square feet to myself with enough equipment, enough ways to do those things and, and, and enough cash if I needed to go out and buy the bits and bobs, included if I was that minded to go out and buy the peptides and whatever else. So, yeah, the access to those things. Here in the UK, especially Psalms and peptides, you could, there are the UK magazine that's still published adverts for those products in the magazine. It's, it, we can buy them from the UK and from Europe quite legally as research chemicals, and that includes pretty much all the peptides and Psalms there are. It's not an issue for us here in the UK. So I think maybe Dorian brought in the area. It was also going to be one of the guys, like every single Olympia, I think the store used to go around about these guys having blood transplants and going to sleep and having amino acids dripping into their bloodstream overnight and stuff like that. And it was always like super secret stuff that they were supposed to be doing. I know from, from, from our local pro that he uses a relatively low amount of gear. I know that he's very good with the contractual stuff. So he's very good with the point of flexation, very good with the isolation of his muscles. And I think with some pros, that's inherent. It's literally something they have from day one. And the rest of us have to learn. Uh, I also know that he's, he's, he doesn't have to destroy himself in the way that I would for me to get to where I've been in the competitions and stuff that I've done. I've seen this for myself. I think I've seen him only in the last five or six years, has only ever been there for maybe two workouts, three workouts, when he's been putting, he's been putting the time in, when he's been really grinding through the stuff. Uh, and even then, it was more on the cardio than it was on the weights. That's, that's genetics right there, guys. Whereas the rest of us, you, you, you kind of got to break stuff down. You've kind of got to half destroy yourself and then do everything a pro's doing in order to recover. So, yeah, I, I definitely think the peptides, the insulin, the DNP is where training today would differ from, that, from before. Yeah, and definitely because the DNP came around in the 2000s. I think guys use a lot more, like, peptides today. They use uh, GW today. Uh, GW really started coming on toward the end of the 2000s. Once it got banned, that kind of got it you know, guys wanted to use it after it got banned. So a big one though is Trenbolone monster. Um, Trenbolone back in the day, they didn't use it very often. Um, you know, especially in the golden era, obviously they were using Prima Bowl and they were using Deca, they were using Debol, but they were not using Trenbolone. Trenbolone really has come on now. And now Trenbolone is almost a must because Trenbolone is an absolute beast. It's the god of steroids. The beast maker, yeah. It's definitely a beast it's, maker. Oh, my it. gosh. It's, so, you know, what we think that guys today are using, um, you know, we don't know for sure, but there's been enough guys talking, you know, who have kind of let on that trend is definitely abused. We're talking 200 milligrams a day of trend. Uh, trend acetate. We're talking lots more testosterone today is, is used than it was back in the day. Why? Because now guys can just use a ton of testosterone and use a ton of aromasin with it because now we have access to AIs. Aromasin wasn't even around uh, back, back in the 80s and early 90s. No one even knew what aromasin was. HGH, probably more HGH today than, than ever. Um, we know from Dallas McCarver, he ran that death cycle. Those were his, he ran two or three of those 
heavy cycles before he passed away. And when they did the autopsy on him, they found out his organs were enlarged. He had cancer developing. He was only 26 and he had all these problems because he was abusing all these drugs. Lots of insulin, um, lots of fasting, cardio, fasted cardio, like Mobster mentioned. That's something guys do today. They'll wake up, they won't eat. They'll go do cardio first, get a nice sweat going, really pound their, get their heart rate up, and then they'll eat. They'll eat after. They won't eat first and go do their cardio. That's a nice way to burn fat. DMP, running DMP as well. So, and then the last one I want to throw in here, Winstrol, lots of Winstrol, especially ahead of their contest, and Masteron because it's a great hardener. Winstrol to dry, Masteron to harden. You just reminded me of something I recall reading not that long ago was that the, the pro bodybuilders in terms of their cycles, and here's a snippet of information for the guys, multiple drugs per cycle. I'm talking about four or five drugs per cycle and then multiple cycles of different drugs through the year. Now, if you're a competing bodybuilder and you're doing multiple competitions, I can kind of see how that would work. You want to stay in condition and different things are going to work at different times. But literally, we're talking about different esters of testosterone, different amounts of different drugs in different ways. Whereas I, I'm just using myself as an example again, I, and I've mentioned this and I've been giving advice on the forums. I'm a great one for if it works, use it again. It's not going to work quite as well as it did the first time. That's just the nature of any steroid. But if it works, and you know that it works, and you've got the result that you wanted, use it again. But what we see with these guys is like they have to, maybe it's more of a mental thing, they have to use, I said, I'll blunt every fucking drug there is. And if they don't, they feel like they're giving something away. So we see cycles, I believe the death cycle was 13 or 14 different kinds of drugs. I'm thinking of uh, Andreas Munzer, it was like 10 or 11 different kinds of drugs. And, and then in the cycles that I've seen described for professionals now, we're talking about five or six, certainly at least four, five or six different drugs per cycle, multiple cycles per year. Each cycle is different. Each cycle's got different drugs in different amounts. Like they've literally kind of gone down to the chemist, down to the pharmacist and asked for everything you've got. I'll take whatever you've got and I'll use every drug that you have in order to, to get there. And, and, and you could argue, I, I, I just did, is that you don't actually need to try and do every single thing. But maybe the mentality is if you don't, someone else will. And if someone else will, they'll beat you. So, yeah, maybe that's what's driving people to do some of the things that they're doing and, and, and whatever else. If, if the money's out there, if, there's, if there are big bucks to chase, then I can see that guys are going to push the envelope and try different things. The only thing, of course, from my, my perspective, from my, my own experience, is you don't need... To use, I've never used trend, never used trend, and I weigh what I weigh and I can do what I can do. I, the obvious answer is because if I did use trend, how much better would I be? How much more of a beast would I be? How much more, more weight would I be pounding? So one can only imagine, but yeah, the guys out there with multiple, multiple pharmaceuticals, multiple peptides, multiple times of the year. Uh, for, for me, and again, I would want to be making some money from, from, from what I do and I have done in the past, but I've been wanting to make serious money. I would probably go for three relatively short cycles per year, even if I was using the harsh, harsher anabolics, but it's where professionals live in. They, they literally rely on income based on what 
they look like 24 7 365 what they look like on instagram what they look like on youtube what they look like for seminars what they look like for for posing exhibitions and what obviously they look like on stage and, and unless you've got the money coming in that you can go off and sit back i think doria was able to do this again having the gym be able to sit back and not rely on the cash too much then how you look and how you're perceived and the condition you're in and the way that you need to be even a kind of almost ready condition all year round is, is, is another reason why they're going to do what they've done. And that's why you're going to have those multiple, multiple drugs, multiple cycles per year with all the different stuff in there. But yeah, again, from memory and seeing these cycles, different drugs, every cycle in different amounts and four or five cycles a year with not half as much time off as we would like to see in between. In fact, we know that they're going to be pretty much on year round. And it's just a question of the competition cycle being the way that I've described and, and, and conditioning cycle being the way I've described. But the rest of it's going to come down to trying to retain that, that competitive muscle to have a look of a bodybuilder 24-7, 365. And in their minds, they need to, and maybe they do. Maybe they do need to do that in order to make a living and to get the $100,000 coming in or whatever else, enable them to succeed. And they certainly think that they do. This is why we see these cycles there, there. And, and the extremes. Dallas is a great example of the extreme. And Andreas Munson was an extreme. Where it got to the point where drugs are everything. Andreas Munson was not a top 15 or a top 20 guy. He was ripped. We know he was ripped. Dallas had the potential to be perhaps Mr. Olympia in the future. and was huge and had the right kinds of shape. But should he have been doing the amount of drugs that we think he was doing, multiple upon multiple, in amounts that would probably kill a horse? Probably not. No. And in fact, we know that he didn't because obviously, look at the, look at the end result. If, if rumour is true, he was 90% of the way there to being dead. And if the reality was true and he choked to death, then it would have been a matter of time for the other stuff. And that's a great shame because potentially... We're talking about a potential Mr. O, the sheer size, his training was spot on. The guys that were around him thought he was a great athlete. But 13 different drugs in a cycle, in amounts that I think Steve and I together have never taken. That's what we're talking about here, guys. Steve? Yeah, and I've interviewed Chris Aceto, and you know he was very Ziploc mouth about it they can't talk about that they're not going to talk about it but you know really it's chemical warfare out there and Dallas McCarver I think is another example too mobster of a guy he did not have I think he was young I think he was young and he was too much of a rush if he would have been more patient he would have got there I think he would have the potential to be a top five Mr. Olympia if he had been patient and been willing to wait but he wasn't he wanted to be top three Mr. Olympia in his 20s and when you rush things you will tend to do more than you should and that's that's what ended up happening in the hymn and i think that that's the that's the rabbit hole that you have the potential to go down yeah that's something that steve and i have discussed again on the forums and i i, I i'm this is the thing right? i've been around since the probably early days of bodybuilding forums i'm thinking of a couple of the uk ones 20 30 years ago when I first got online and found these things and, and started talking on there, and you get younger guys, fortunately for me, it was all of a certain age when this stuff came online, 
And younger guys that are pretty much of the live, live fast, die young mentality. And they're already doing recreationals outside and decide to use the same approach to, to their, their performance enhancing drugs. And so they pretty much don't care what happens five or 10 years down the road, except five or 10 years down the road, Steve and I get to see what they do care really and that they've changed their mind. So you get Dallas McCarver of a certain age who wants to be Mr. O more than anything else. He decides that whatever he's told to take, he'll take. In fact, he probably spoke to two or three people, which is why you end up with that ridiculously long list of drugs. And then you say, listen, I'm going to do everything it takes. That's a rich piano uh, turn of phrase right there to become the very best bodybuilder I can, except five or 10 years down the road, you meet the girl and you decide to have children and now you can't produce babies. Either she can't or you can't. And yours is down to your recreational and yours is down to your performance enhancing drug use. So there's the thing right there for you guys. You need to have half an eye on the future, not just on the title, but what's going to happen down the road, which is where the AIs come in, which is where keeping an eye on your blood pressure, which is where the blood tests come in, and which is where, <laughs> Christ, if you're going to be that serious, guys, get some sperm pros and crying out loud. Because I'm sure there's going to be a lady out there with your name ready to go on the certificate and she, she needs you to be able to do something about producing children. So what seems like a really good idea now might not in the future. So there's, there's one for you. And I mean, there's another thing as well with the live fast, die young attitude, which is this idea of being some great star and a top bodybuilding athlete. You look at all of them, and Dorian is a good example again. Look at how Dorian talks now about the universe and, and, and how things work and how things are connected. And that, and he talks about being a father and how his attitude has changed. So yeah, that's lots of stuff out there. It's a temptation to get everything you possibly can, use everything you possibly can, live like a pro, train like a pro, and see if you're going to be a pro at the end of it. And that's a very small percentage of you guys. It really is. Uh, but in terms of the, the the stuff that's going out and what they're being used, well, this is what we're here for, guys. This is what we're going to try and give you the advice on, Steve. Yeah, and you saw in the autopsy of Dallas McCarver, his cholesterol levels were way, way Oof. off. He had also has shortness of breath, so that tells me definitely trend. When you have shortness of breath like that, that's a guy who's way too big for a size, and when you take a lot of trend, it's very inflammatory. So that's something basically that definitely they're abusing the trend today. I would say, you know, in conclusion, they're taking five, six, seven times the amount of trend that a normal gym rat does. They're taking four or five times the amount of winstrol that a normal gym rat does. They're taking three, four times the amount of Masteron, three, four times the amount of testosterone. They're taking DMP way, way too much. They're taking all this stuff, guys. It's a chemical warfare to, to get there. And um, yeah, it's, you gotta, you, you know, that's how it is, man, to get to, the, to that level. And it's a combination of, of great diet, great training, and great genetics. It's a, it's a combination of all. You just reminded me of something. If you have ever heard any of the uh, top uh, heavy bodybuilders, the big guys, and some of the strength athletes that I've been around and they've been interviewed, they sound kind of breathless. This is what happens when you've got a normal size frame and you weigh 300 pounds. The, I know the named athletes that are taking, and I think Eddie Hall is actually one of them, sleep apnea. They've got so big. When they were at their absolute biggest, I think Eddie was 420 pounds at six, two and a half. That he had to buy a sleep apnea machine to help them breathe. 
so that they weren't sort of going without oxygen in the night time. That's how big they got. Pro bodybuilders uh, uh, with the softened voices from testosterone, but specifically when they're uh, talking to you like this. Uh, NASA, in fact, was a great one. I think uh, Dave Palumbo does a very good impression of NASA or Sobati with the kind of talking like this, Dave, and all this kind of stuff. Slightly out of breath, slightly breathless. That's, that's a physical condition thing there, guys. Cholesterol, blood pressure through the roof. Uh, I know guys that got water retention so badly that the wife would have to pull, help pull their socks on and they would take their socks off and have an indentation into the skin down below because of water retention, because they're bloating. So, yeah. That, that's the extremes that some guys are going to. And I think I was watching a video yesterday when a, uh, one of the athletes said, uh, there are blokes that we know that are amazing bodybuilders and they're amazing bodybuilders for a year. And this includes pros for two years, three years, but not for five, not for 10, not for 15, not for 20. You go back to doing again, we're talking about a bloke that looked like a bodybuilder in his late teens, early 20s. There are photographs with a very nice, Tidy, muscular physique, small waist, good bicep, good sweep, good shape. In his late teens and early twenties, when he first started becoming serious, when when he first competed, I think his first UK title they put him in for for World Something Games, and because they couldn't believe he was a novice, they couldn't believe he was like a first timer, and had won a competition. And this, and this actually was the only competition he ever did where he said he felt slightly uncomfortable because pretty much everything else he done was planned until the letter. And I think what it, the, the problem that we might have with this saturation of information sometimes is that there's so many photographs, so many videos, there's so much information out there, which is our job to help you, to guide you through, through guys. It's, it can be, it creates an impression that you need to do all these things you need to be doing, taking all these drugs and whatever else. So yeah, I, I would argue at the beginning, Dorian probably did less than, than we would see being used now. I think something that Steve and I were going to touch on in a moment is what we think he would do now in a mouse, what he would uh, be using if, if Dorian was to come to the scene right now. And uh, I refer you to the Evo article for this, guys, in terms of the amounts that we think he would be doing compared to before and uh, the, the, the stuff that he would touch on that he wasn't using before. So I'll, I'll refer to it now, Steve. I've got it up on the screen in front of me. And I'll, I'll work this through with you. In terms of like Sustanon, for example, uh, the article refers to 1,500 milligrams per week. Deca, 1,000 milligrams a week. Dianabol, 100 milligrams a day. That does seem excessive. The HGH is actually only slightly higher at 10 IUs per day compared to what Doreen himself said he was using at 8 IUs. And even 8 IUs, you're risking uh, carpal tunnel issues. But again, it may be just the period of time that you're on rather than being on it all the time. GW and MK that Steve's touched on earlier on, uh, Aramsin and Entuvgard, uh, or a product very similar to that to, to, to enable him to get through. And, and these, are going to vary, these amounts would vary. And, and again, if you look at it, it's the, 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 the actual number of drugs is not actually that different from what he was using. I'm looking down the list here. I think one of the things that Dorian would talk about uh, and it's referred to is, for example, uh, um, Chirinobol and similar drugs so that there's not quite as much water retention from some of those drugs when you're on. And again, as a professional bodybuilder, rather than trying to be the biggest guy you can, you have to look a certain way. 
And I believe there's only one or two photographs of Dorian when he was what we would see properly out of shape. And I'm thinking of one of the, the, the FIBO videos with Victor Richards and himself and a couple of others when there was a bit of a belly, but it was made up by these 22 and 23 inch calves and, and, that's, and, and, and the width of his back and everything else. So literally as he walked out, your mind, the hairs on the back of your neck were single and your mind was blown. So you probably didn't pay quite as much attention to that sticking out belly that was for the sheer volume of food. Something else I remember uh, specifically, and people have picked up Dorian on this. Funny enough, it's more to do with supplements. So Dorian talks about in his books, not getting anything from creatine. But as Steve said in the, in the diet stuff that we touched on earlier on, the protein content of his diet was sufficiently high from actual meat that he was probably getting a relative dose of creatine just through his food. And yet, of course, Dorian, in all of the companies that he's been involved in, including his own, has always sold creatine because he knows it's a useful supplement for everybody else. It's just that he didn't benefit from it himself because of the food and because of his higher protein from, from actual meat, insect meat, fish, chicken, but specifically red meat. I believe in his early, one of his first books, he talked about quite high red meat content into his diet. So he's going to be getting plenty of creatine that way and certainly plenty of protein. It's, it, you, you see, um, Dorian's definitely one of those guys where you get that, kind of weird sensation the, lit, the the phrase that i touched on just now the hairs on the back of your neck tingling when this guy walks out and you go oh my god is that a human being is it's, it's got to be something from outer space with, with a human head on it and uh, can't understand how it is possible for someone to look like that and i think that's that that re reaction is why we feel the need to then go to the crazy depths that some guys do in order to try and create that illusion for themselves it's, it's kind of it's kind of unbelievable it's kind of weird and I, i'm i'm lucky as steve knows from from being around the strongman i've been around the guys at 350 360 uh, some size more and i feel like a small boy when i'm around those i'm walking around now as i said 308 309 and, and and i can meet someone that's close to 400 pounds and i suddenly feel like a teenager uh, in terms of my physique compared to theirs and I think Dorian and guys like Dorian are going to have that kind of response. When you see them at Mr. O level condition, uh, slightly off season, uh, an exhibition, and they walk out and you go, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? How, how is he able to do that? How is he, how is he making that happen? How, what the fuck is this guy doing? And how is he, how is, what is he? He must be taking drugs before he comes on stage. He's got to be doing some absolutely crazy shit because he's kind of, I've always said an adrenaline rush. Wow, what the fuck? Jeez, I can't. Jeez, is this real? Is this fuck me? And it, that's the kind of response that you get from guys. And I think Dorian had that effect on, on the other pros, never mind on, on guys like myself as a, uh, a would-be fan of bodybuilding or whatever else. Steve? Yeah, it's like going to uh, a pro, you know, an NFL game. You go um, like the NFL training camp, you go and you sign autographs, you're up to these people. Everyone's blown away. Like, wow, these guys are monsters up close. Basketball, go to an NBA game, go up close. These guys are, you know, six, six foot and a half, seven foot tall. Oh. O'Neal, seven foot, three, over 300 pounds. He's, he's so fast. They can't, people can't understand you know, that these guys are 250, 300 pounds or more and fast. Blow you away fast. Sprint in the 40-yard dash fast. Yeah. And then the athletes are getting more and more gifted. Like nowadays, you've got these players are 250, 260 pounds of muscle. And they could run. 
they could run a 40-yard dash in, in 4.7 seconds. It's, it's ridiculous. This wasn't like this back in the 70s and 80s. So athletes in another 20, 30 years, I mean, athletes are going to be even more sick. You're going to see these Mr. Olympia guys even more. They're going to have more stuff. They're going to look back and laugh at the way guys look today. It's, it's going to be amazing what's going to happen. And they're, they're yeah. coming up with more stuff. Yeah. In terms of future drugs, and, and there's something Steve and I have, have spoken about in the forums, if they ever, ever, ever get a selective myostatin inhibitor that specifically affects the things that we want it to, you're going to see 400 pounds all day long six days, seven days a week. You're going to see some absolutely crazy physiques. If you ever, ever get a selective, it would needs to be selective because right now it isn't. It's too generalized. The heart's the muscle. And we don't want to fuck that heart up. But if we can ever get to a muscle or peptide derivative of uh, myostatin where the stuff out there is going to allow us to say, listen, I, I just want my muscle, my, 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 superficial the top surface muscles the muscles that make us a bodybuilder the muscles that give us a shape if we ever get a selective peptide myostatin inhibitor that we can take as steve said it's going to be laughable we're going to look like cartoons we're going to look like supermen and that's going to be guys in in middle ranking shows the guys that do the mr olympia are going to come out of 400 pounds on a, on a five and a half five ten five eleven foot frame and it's going to absolutely, it's going to blow away guys like uh, Big Ramy and whatever else. They're going to be cartoonish and freakish. You're going to look like show horses or, or double-muscled uh, uh, Belgian blues coming out with muscle on muscle and veins and stuff like that. It's going to absolutely blow your mind. So I know, because I've hung around with and spoken to the guys of yesteryear in terms of uh, the writers and the pros from uh, sports of the 60s and 70s on other forums that I'm on, uh, for them already, the guys now are to them what we're talking about. These guys are going to be to us in a few years' time. Uh, and, and in terms of uh, the development, it's just going to be, it's, it's going to look like they've morphed the muscle. It's going to look like someone's got this guy in a paint shop and, and done a job on him. And it's just going to blow your minds, guys. And, and the numbers in the gym as well, in Strongman, for example, it's not, it's getting to the stage where it's not unusual for the guys to be all doing 400 kilograms, 880 pounds, nearly 900 pounds deadlifts. That's kind of becoming the norm. And you could, that used to be world record seven and 800 pounds. And these guys are top 10 of one competition two years ago. Every single person did a 420 kilogram, a 900 pound deadlift. Every, well, 920 pounds. Every single athlete in the top 10 all did a 920 pound deadlift to get to that level and that's what we're kind of doing we we, we go forward so it's going to get bigger it's going to get more frequent maybe the 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 guys at that level will get smaller maybe the time that they're ever on stage will get smaller but the the, the stuff that's coming the stuff that's out there the possibilities it's going to it's going to be cartoonish it's going to be like something from a science fiction uh, a magazine and it's going to absolutely blow your mind uh, we're, we're going to be out there giving you information guys we're going to be providing you with this stuff and we're going to be telling you what's what and fingers crossed we're going to tell you how to do it safely so that you don't end up like Dallas but uh, yeah there, there are supermen coming and uh, we're all on it for the ride even if we're just going to raise an eyebrow we're, there, we're going to see what's happening back to you Steve yeah and just to add um, you know a guy I interviewed on, a, on this podcast Frank Zane back in the late seventies, he only weighed 185 pounds. I was his contest weight. So, you know, we, and then uh, Samir Banu, another Mr. Olympia guy, he, he didn't weigh even that. 
and he won the Mr. Olympia. So things are changing. Things have changed a lot and uh, they're going to keep changing. So yeah, um, you know, like stick with us, stick with Evo, stick, stick with our podcast. And we'll, we'll help you guys uh, get, get to your goal safely. Like, like mobster said, all right. Yeah. Any final words, uh, mobster before we close up? We reiterate something. And this is where genetics comes in guys. Even the people that we're talking about, these absolute monsters have genetics and then they're throwing pharmaceuticals at it. And I'll give you a good example. One of my uh, close buddies, who's a gym owner, has talked about using, and we went to the fluid amount of in, in the injection, so one mil, two mils, and so on. And he's talked about, and I tend to take these things with a pinch of salt, 24 mils, 27 mils, 28 mils a week, meaning something on the order of about three grams of uh, actual testosterone derivatives into his system. And his best ever on stage weight is, 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 a, is a, a middle weight was I believe 12 and a half English stone, so about 170 something pounds, there or thereabouts. And I was that weight when I was 18. And the most amount of gear that I've ever used in milligrams is less than 750 milligrams a week. That's the difference between height, because it's shorter than I am, bone structure, because mine's bigger, time training. I've, I've trained more years than he's been alive. So I've got that advantage. And then it's my genetic response to training and my genetic response to gear. And we can give you a ton of advice, guys, but you have to understand that what works for me, what works for Steve, what works for Dallas, what works for Dorian, is you are not always going to get the same response. What we can give you in service of advice is what works for most people. When the new stuff comes along, we want to be the first to give you that information. And we want to make sure that you are on the journey for a long time. We want you as EVO members for a long time. We want to be giving you advice for 10, 15, 20 years, not for six months. And, and we want you to be there at the first and foremost of what's happening, what's out there. But we want you to be doing like I do as Mobster. I want to be around for 40 more years training and, and, and another 10 pounds body weight and whatever. This is going to be crazy stuff. And we want you on our journey with us, guys. So, yeah, there we go. Back to you, Steve. All right, guys, episode 102, Hardcore. Appreciate you guys listening for Steve Smee and Mobster. We will talk to you guys next week on another exciting episode. Talk to you guys then. Take Ta-da. care, buddy.